Mothers of the world, unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. Hello, and welcome to Season of the Bitch, where we believe families deserve world-class care and where we ooh and ooh. ah over each other's kids. Ah. <laughs> Today we have Walida, Hope, and Laura. And because we have two moms. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> It's Wait, not, not like we each have two moms, but like two of us host our moms. Yes, yeah. I do have two moms. I have a mom and a stepmom. But um, yes, maybe what I mean to say is we, two <laughs> of our six hosts are moms. They happen to be on this call. I'm the, I'm the non-mom of the call. Uh, but, you know, I feel like being a mom, I mean, <laughs> not speaking from personal experience, but obviously being a mom shapes uh, your life experience. It shapes, um, what you go through. And especially, uh, as this is something that we wanted to think about from a feminist perspective, uh, and a leftist perspective, uh, yeah, we just, we just didn't, we haven't done this yet. And that's kind of ridiculous, but we're going to do it today. Yay, moms. Um, thank you, Laura. That's very sweet. Um, so today, <laughs> so today we're going to talk about families and motherhood and what it means to raise, uh, kids here in the U S. Um, recently Matt Brunig of the people's policy project, uh, they published a paper, a policy paper called the family fun pack. And we want, we wanted to talk about that a little today as well. Um, he discusses the current financial strains put on people who have children, um, and some discussion about how to solve some of those problems directly. Um, as Laura said, two of us are also moms, um, hope to a new baby and meet two seven-year-olds, boy and a girl. Um, and in addition to the cost and limitations of prenatal and delivery care, the lack of maternity and paternity leave, no financial safety net to help with basic needs of children, um, low minimum wage, lack of universal child care, and with far too many people driven into poverty after they have kids, we live in an economic system that not only exploits our labor, but demands the free labor of moms and increasingly dads to reproduce um, generation after generation and to rely on the meager earnings of that exploitation to do it. So frankly, this should make everyone mad as hell, whether you have children or not. I just want to um, interject really quickly um, before we go further. And we are um, often discussing uh, motherhood um, or like, I think like the care leading up to motherhood. And I just wanted to say like the caveat that like we understand um, like, tr like that you don't have to be a woman to have a kid biologically. And like, while we're mostly talking about um, a cis experience, like we, I think are all 
coming coming to that as cis women, um, but understand that trans men and um, non-binary folks and gender non-conforming folks can, of course, also have an, an experience in, in birthing a child. Of course. Yeah, of course. Um, and I actually, I'm a stepmom, so I have never given birth to a child. Um, I, my, my stepkids are seven, um, but they, you know, I've been raising them most of their lives. So, um, that's how I, that's how I came to be a mom. Um, so yeah, everyone becomes a parent differently and, uh, the financial strains are the same, um, Mm -hmm. no matter how you came to have children. So, um, so let's go through some of the specifics on the finance side. I found the family fun pack really interesting because it has a really concise description of some core problems that are easily identifiable and able to be directly confronted with social financial investment in parents and, uh, and kids. Um, it, it's online. It's not that long. If you want to read it, I suggest you do. Um, but here are some of the things that uh, I think were the most uh, interesting in, in it. Um, the idea that people are paid backwards Right. Like when people are young and most likely to start their families, their net income is less than what it would be later in life when their children are grown and they don't have to spend as much money on them. So instead of making the most money when we most need it, for example, right out of college in our 20s, 30s, like those earlier years where we where we decide to have children, um, we're paid the least we will make in our lives. And this paper seeks to sort of remedy that by providing cash transfers instead of like a I don't know, maybe two dozen existing tax credits, maybe even more than that. I don't, I don't know, but like just a direct cash transfer, just give people, um, money right into their bank accounts every month, uh, depending on how many children they have, um, free childcare. It offers free childcare so that, um, and healthcare to those new parents for each child they have. Um, you know, I made this joke actually with someone when I was, when after I read this paper, I was like, you know, this is the kind of stuff like, I would love to hear all those anti-choice people, all those so-called pro-lifers come out in support of something like this, where it's like, yeah, we, we're pro-children, we're pro-life, but, you know, their politics doesn't lead them to, to create a social welfare state for parents and mothers, um, which infuriates me to no end. Um, anyway, half the families, another tidbit that was in there, another fact was half the families who live in poverty in the U.S. is because they are parents. So having children mm. actually makes people poor in America. I mean, imagine, imagine like that is by design, right? right? That's just, that's just by design. I mean, there's no way, there's no other way to understand it. So you combine that with restrictions on reproductive choice, a lack of health care, low incomes, insecure housing. You have like literally the recipe for this to keep happening, to mm-hmm. just continue generation after generation. Um, especially as people make less and less uh, as each generation goes by, as has been happening for the last two generations or three generations. Um, It is like, it's mind boggling to me that we have disincentivized having children this way. Um, The other thing from the paper that I thought was great, having two kids in school is free school lunches. So frankly, I'm for free breakfast, lunch, snacks, and even dinner if the child needs it. But let's start with lunch. not everywhere has free school lunches. Uh, there's no shortage of stories, if you look it up, about kids having their lunches literally thrown away or being mm-hmm. denied food because their accounts didn't have enough money in them. Or going into debt. 
literal children yeah. going into debt because of this or like families going into debt like that has to be owed at the end of things and like transcripts are uh, withheld from families like that yeah it's just all sorts yeah. of fucked up it's all sorts of fucked up like i mean like this is part of a larger problem of having commodified food. Of course. Um, you know, and, and workers who are job insecure, so they do what the rules tell them to do instead of acting like a fucking human being. Um, but no one should ever be hungry. Like, we produce more than enough food to feed everyone. We could do so even if we changed how we produced it. Um, this, is an, this is an indisputable fa- fact. Um, but, like, children especially. You know, I can't imagine the humiliation of sitting in a cafeteria watching everyone around you eat while you sit there with nothing. Yeah. Right. Or how a parent feels when they can't afford to feed their own children, um, which is something my own parents went through when I was born because they were new in this country. Less, they were here less than a year um, or sorry, just about a year when I was born. Um, it's hard. It's extremely difficult. So that's that, the, the this is one of the policy proposals that's floating out there. There's a lot more um, of, of the Democratic candidates. Elizabeth Warren has released a universal child care plan that uses some of her pr- proposed wealth tax, millionaire's tax or whatever it's called, to pay for universal child care. Um, it's means tested. So f- it will be fully subsidized for those who make 200% under the poverty line, which is great. But the problem with means testing, so-called like universal programs, is like someone like me or someone like Hope or someone like most people where we're not poor, but no one is asking what my debt to income ratio is, right? Like how much debt do I have compared with how much money I make? Um, and even adjusted for that, like paying up to 7%, as she states in the plan for, for childcare, that's on top of like healthcare costs right. um, and saving up for their, their college costs and like pre-K, all the stuff that isn't available free. It like, it still becomes a deciding factor on whether or not to have children. Like universal child care, a means-tested universal child care might help some people, but it by no means would help the vast majority of people. Um, you know, and especially since like if her general economic beliefs are that we have to pay for things with revenue from taxes mm. and that and that those they will be means tested, then then I would never qualify for full subsidy for any aspect of raising a child. Neither would most people listening, which means I'm paying for child care, baby supplies, school supplies, college, medical costs, all these all these things. Um, and depending on a tax revenue also assumes there will also be extreme wealth to tax. Right. Yeah. So as socialists. What the hell? We say no to that. There's not going to be always extreme wealth to tax right. on individuals. There shouldn't be. Um, and since you all listened to, all you listeners out there, and fully understood the modern monetary <laughs> theory episode. <laughs> hell yeah, you did. Hell yeah, you did. You also know that this, is, this isn't how we pay for things, right? Taxation right. of the wealthy should be implemented as a way to transfer wealth back to us right. while simultaneously eroding the ability for that type of mass wealth accumulation by individuals. Yes. So it's not a, that's not a policy that I was, that I liked either. That's, that's happening right now out there. Yeah. Um, I wanted to like also jump back to the food thing really quickly. Um, the, the lunches, I, I think, well, in Buffalo, at least, uh, the Buffalo city school districts have a almost 100%, um, free school lunch. But when that lunch is coming from, uh, like, 
pretty gnarly thing like um suppliers from a nutritional standpoint and we understand that like nutrition is a lot of the foundation for growing healthy children um not only do we need to demand that children are being fed for free but i think part of that also needs to be like that there actually needs to be kitchens within the schools and higher paid labor um, of those uh, lunch workers. Because in most school systems, um, if you're not aware, like across the country and in cities, don't have actual functional kitchens within their schools. There's a commissary that is one uh, large like factory warehouse kitchen-ish for the district and then those things are packaged and sent out to the various schools and then schools are just warming those meals up um and this this has a big ramification that's not only related to nutrition and health and well-being of our students but it also creates um uh, an unskilled labor force that it's able to be rationalized to pay less rather than um, having like the traditional what we what we used to have uh, back in like the 60s and 70s where like these were actually um, trained cooks and and kitchen workers. Um, so it definitely just changes the whole dynamic um, of how our food system is like completely fucked. I just like think about this a lot. It's the field I work in. So I wanted to at least like add that piece. Um, and then in related to, to Elizabeth Warren, I think we have to be really skeptical of any proposal that comes forward that says that it's universal, uh, but then isn't actually universal, right? If there are these caveats to that universality, like that's why, um, Medicare for all is so widely appealing to folks, right? Like it doesn't have, it's to everyone. It's to every person. So I think, I think we definitely need to be skeptical of those sorts of policies. And I think, um, you know, not that I think all of us on this show are obviously highly skeptical of any candidate. I'm I think electoral politics can be garbage because we don't live in an actual democracy. However, I think a lot of us also feel as though the proposals that Bernie Sanders puts forward are actually universal and actually um, get at these things on a larger scale because they don't have these caveats and they don't have these um, loopholes that Walida was describing where people would not be covered. Um, and I think that that's really important when we're thinking about this over the next fucking year and a half where this is going to be slammed into our brains over and over again. Like when we start seeing these discussions and we start seeing these debates happen, um, I think it'll be really interesting, of course, because identity politics will undoubtedly become so much a part of like Bernie being a white older man, which is an important thing to recognize. Um, but obviously for me, I guess I won't speak for anyone else, but for me, when someone's policies actively uh, work to benefit marginalized folks, whether that's um, based on race or gender or economic abil- or ability, and uh, to strengthen um, strengthen worker working class and weaken capital the capital class exactly like that 
is uh, those are the things that I'm going to be looking for when these debates start going on. And uh, I think it's important that like while it's good to see that we have more left wing left ish wing, (laughs) I don't know that I would consider anyone really left wing Bernie like toes the line of being left wing (laughs) but um you know seeing Elizabeth Warren uh coming out uh and I think that that I think that the debates will be much more fruitful and interesting because when you have like a fucking candidate like (laughs) Joe Biden in the ring with that it's it's going to be an interesting um (laughs) Joe Biden Joe Biden you you guy go eat some ice cream (laughs) Go like, I mean, like I, 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 it's funny like, because take up I, golfing and chill. Yeah. Like, like do what the other idiots have done. Yeah. Just go. Yeah. Just golf or paint terrible pictures. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like whatever, it'll just be fun because I think, I think that the conversation will be moving to the left because Bernie because is so popular. Yeah. And, and I yeah. think that that will be a really interesting thing to say. Sorry, this is like kind of a distraction from what we're actually talking about, but I think it's important based on like... No, sorry. (laughs) Based on like talking about these presidential candidates. Yeah. Well, what you were saying about the universality of these programs is key because like universality of a program is what makes it uh, stay. It's what makes it safe from being torn apart because when you when you means test something and it's only provided for some of the people then you have one class looking at another class saying well they're getting this for free and i'm not why are my taxes paying for it why do we keep have to have why do we always generation after generation have to subsidize those people so no everybody gets it and that and and when everyone has it like in in the uk um for example everybody has free health care there's still private health care you can get but it's fucking cheap as shit because they have to compete with free. Right. Like they're yearly. And I, I have relatives there family of four for one year of, of full coverage, meaning there's no such thing as co-pays or deductibles. They didn't even know what I was talking about when I said those words, but the, the fee to cover the entire family with private insurance for a year was roughly the equivalent of $600. Oh my God. For a year. And that's all they pay for private insurance. There's nothing else out of pocket. That's it. Yeah. Like why even the people who desperately want to keep their private health care system don't want the universal care next to it? I like it'll be cheaper for you even. You'll yeah. even like it'll be less money for you in the private in the private uh healthcare industry, healthcare totally. sector. Anyway, you're right, this is a tangent. Let's no, get back to talking I like about it. it. <laughs> Okay, tell me what tell me your names. Ada and Owen. Okay, what do you guys think about socialism? Great. What do you like about your what do you like about it? That they're trying to make housing free. And so anyone can pick whatever house they want. Yeah, what do you guys know about unions? I know that they're trying to make things better for the world. Yeah, Owen, what do you think about unions? I don't know. What do you guys know? What do you guys think about um, socialism and Donald Trump? Uh, horrible. Donald Social- Trump's hor- horrible? And yeah. socialism's great. Yeah. And Donald Trump's fans are horrible. <laughs> Donald Trump's fans are horrible. What do you guys think about housing? Great. Should it, what do you think about people who don't have housing? 
Bam. You think it should be free? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what types of things do you think should be free? Houses, food, food baby materials, diapers, water, water, yeah. Hospital. Hospital, school, what about school? School and housing. And housing, I agree. I think all those things should be free. And doctors. But mm -hmm. not like not hospital doctors should be free. Hospital doctors should be free. And not hospital doctors. And not hospital doctors. I think you're absolutely yeah. right. To okay. go do that all for sure. I just had a baby three weeks ago, uh, and was fortunate enough to have a really positive experience and uh, was really, really supported and the whole experience was shaped by community. So I wanted to add in here that in addition to looking at these kind of big, broad changes, um, largely kind of state-based, I think mutual aid and other community-based forms of care are also really important, Yes, especially when we're talking about pregnancy, um, postpartum care, and even like newborn care, because it's really, it's a, it's a whole person experience, right? Like mm -hmm. we, we medicalize, hyper-medicalize birth, especially in America. Um, and while there definitely are medical emergencies that can come up and reasons that you need to have access to that kind of specific care, it's a whole mind-body transformational experience. And so there are a lot of benefits to that kind of community-led care that you're just never going to get in a strictly medical yes. setting. Um, and in my case, so I did a home birth with midwife. My midwife was part of a cooperative of midwives. So she has a whole network of support, including a co-midwife who came and attended my birth. Um, and my midwife also leads a nonprofit that supports black and brown women in Milwaukee, which is amazing. Um, so I, I paid her one set fee and that included all of my prenatal visits the birth and the postnatal visits where she came and checked on the baby and checked on me, some lactation support. So that was all included. I paid her and some of the money I paid her goes back into this nonprofit that then helps the community. Mm. So it like triggers a whole series of good things happening. Then like in addition to her, I also was fortunate enough to have a lactation consultant because breastfeeding is really hard. It's like really, really hard. Nobody told me that. I thought that that was going to be the easy part. But honestly, like it in the beginning was harder than giving birth. Yeah. Like no, no joke. That's what people um, have said. I have two coworkers who still breastfeed and they were saying that like literally no one talks about it. And it's like so hard, so hard on your body. Yeah. And your postpartum, your healing, your hormones are crazy. So like for that to not click is really stressful. Mm. Um, and I think I would have given up and just switched to formula were it not that there's this great network. So, so my midwife was like, oh, you're having trouble. Well, first let's get you connected to our donor milk system so that you don't have the stress of worrying if your baby is getting fed. Let's take that burden off of you first. Uh -huh. So she, she gave me a phone number of somebody to text. I texted this person. This lady's husband just dropped off breast milk to our house, met Brandon. So there's just like two dudes outside my house talking about breast milk. And this like yes. this pretty much <laughs> this, this lady's husband was like, here's the breast milk. Just don't thaw it and refreeze it. And like, they're just like, you know, fist bump each other and hand off the breast milk, which oh is God, really yes. cool. <laughs> um, 
And I ended up needing to ask them for more. So the woman came out, she brought it to my house. She gave me a hug. She told me I was doing great. She told me more about this, this bank that basically she set it up herself as like a peer to peer kind of thing where she realized that you can get donor breast milk through the hospital, but there's a lot of administrative work and it, and you have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she wanted it to be free. So they do the same thing. They, they screen all of the breast milk. So they test it for safety. They have certain standards, but it's totally free as much as you need. Um, And, you know, if I'd gone through the hospital, I don't know that anybody would have given me the kind of emotional support. And she's like, here's my phone number. Text me if you have questions. Mm. So like, well, I had that. You would have, if like, um, if like Beyonce, uh, who rented out like an entire wing of a hospital or some crazy shit to have like top line service catered to you, then yeah, you totally could have had that if you were a, a millionaire. Right. That's basically <laughs> who gets it is millionaires. And so long story longer, this, um, this lady from the breast milk bank is like, Oh, if you need more help, there's this woman named star. Here's her phone number. So I, I text her in like the middle of the night, just a wreck. Like, I don't know what's wrong. I can't get this baby to nurse. I don't know what I'm doing. And she immediately is like, send me a video. I'll try to help you over the phone. If not, I'm coming to your house tomorrow. And she let me text her 24 seven, like with all of my questions and then came to my house and like a magician solved all my problems in like 30 minutes. Oh my God. Um, so like, and all of this, and there was, oh, and the best part is star was like, oh, I do fundraising for this kind of thing. So like your fee is waived. Like you don't have to pay me anything for me to provide all of this service for you. Oh my God. Um, yeah, it's really like, it's, I think it's a big part of the reason why I haven't been had as much of like the baby blues that some people have, because I had so much support, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And it really just made me think that in a lot of other cultures, these roles would be filled by virtue of having a stronger social fabric, like, you know, where people don't have to move as much for jobs, where they have enough free time to support each other. I think breast milk is a good example. If you were a new mom having trouble breastfeeding, you could pass your baby to another woman who is lactating, um, who maybe had an older baby to kind of like supplement your breast milk while you learned how to do it. Yeah. But in our society, we don't usually have this option so that you're just like only presented with formula, which is a totally fine choice. But in my case, like being able to use donor milk made a really big difference and I think fills a gap that would sort of like naturally be filled by community. Yeah. Um, And I guess like kind of in conclusion, sorry, this is like a really long rant, but I have a lot of feels about this stuff. But um, (laughs) in conclusion... I would really like to see more efforts to set up things like childcare sharing or co-ops or like time banking options and just like um, a bigger variety of community-based solutions in the interim while we work out the like larger scale stuff that Walida was mentioning. Yeah, that's like yeah. so fucking awesome. I can't even imagine. <laughs> and it's like so intuitive in a lot of ways. And so that's like really, really beautiful. And I'm so glad that was your experience. Yeah, so I just kind of wanted to break down some other things related to healthcare and feminism, and um, and this might seem really obvious to some of you all, but I really just wanted to break it down a little bit. Um, the reasons why universal healthcare is a feminist issue um, 
the reasons why are really multifaceted. So number one, having healthcare outside of employment is crucial for women's autonomy when possibly deciding to leave an abusive or unhealthy situation. Uh, women in domestic violence situations often stay with an abuser because they feel like they can't take care of themselves or their baby if there's a baby. Um, and of course, this this like having healthcare outside of employment is crucial, uh, period, because we stay in uh, extraordinary, extraordinarily exploitative employment situations because of healthcare as well. Um, and of course, like all work is exploitative under capitalism. But I think because this facet of our lives is tied to employment, um, we have a lot harder time shifting or advocating for ourselves. Like the boss holds more cards than they even would in the already exploitative situation. Um Number two, women are primary caretakers, not only for children, but for also elderly folks. And uh, women are often the ones that have to navigate through a ton of bureaucratic nonsense. Yeah, that's um, one other reason why using a midwife like I did was nice. I paid out of pocket, but it's one set fee. So we knew exactly how much it was going to be. There was no paperwork. And I don't have to like fight anybody about charges after the fact because mm. that seems like a nightmare. Yeah. Exactly. It's a nightmare. Like it was a nightmare when I had like endometriosis surgery or whatever the fuck. Like it's just a nightmare no matter what. And of course, when you're like, dealing with like something is of an extreme life change as pregnancy. And again, like going back to what Hope was saying about like um, how hyper medicalized that is within our society as well. Um, it just there's a lot of bullshit surrounding that. Um, but yeah, I think I think with anything in our fucked up society right now, these perks are tied to employment. So when we're talking about child care or parental leave or basic health care, we have to think about it in the context of our jobs. Um, you know, people think about how much time off they're going to be able to get, whether it's paid or not. Most people aren't paid. I think in the U.S., um, like you are allowed up to, I don't even know what the actual law is, but you're allowed to have a certain amount of time off. It's unpaid, um, but you are allowed to have, I think it's either four or six weeks off after you have a birth. Um, and it's like less time than we have in the, U in the U.S. for like, you can't adopt a dog before eight weeks and yet we like have parents going back to work in a shorter amount of time because legally uh, they could be fired if they take more time than that. Um, so there's just a bunch of fucked up shit. Um, but the reason why it's important to remember this in the context of our jobs is because women are already paid less than men to work. Um, part of this for shitty employers is chalked up to women getting pregnant or women needing to take time off of work to take care of a child. So if we care about equity within employment, which is complicated at best under capitalism, then we need to take these services out of the hands of the employer. There are also other countries where um, they make men and women in hetero couples take the same amount of time of parental leave. Usually the woman takes the first year and then the man takes the second year. But also this is, this is to even out the time being away from being a laborer. Um, 
and it encourages men to take the full year um, because the woman can only take as much as like the man takes for some, I don't know. It's a weird law, but it there are ways to get around that like gender inequity. Um, and like, again, to echo what Walida was saying earlier, we need to pay for these things and it doesn't need to come from like some sort of like weird increase in like nuance. It can just be this universal thing. I mean, don't get don't get us wrong. Definitely tax the shit out of all the billionaires. Yeah, and like, like fucking say you're going to pay for that for this with that. But uh, just like take it 100 <laughs> percent inheritance tax, please. Oh, yeah. 100 percent. 110 percent. You should be punished for how much you accumulated. <laughs> you should be in debt after you die, just like everybody else. Um, anyway, <laughs> so your aspect of motherhood and parenthood that I that I wanted to talk about was um, the fact that parents are often asked to be self extremely self-sacrificing especially mm-hmm. moms to the point where they forget themselves so we previously interviewed Kristen Goetze the author of why women had better sex under socialism um, and I I, I really liked, I'm actually, I've actually just started reading it now. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I like the fact that women are being spoken about this way as like our, our freedom is sort of tied up in our economic independence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so economic independence for men, right? Not economic independence from the welfare state, because I think the welfare state should be centered around, uh, you know, making like filling in those gaps where people need them most. Being dependent on a welfare state is not something that's inherently bad. Women having to be dependent on men, terrible. So, yeah, so like- Women needing to rely on men for literally anything, fucking kill me. (laughs) Awful, yeah, yeah. Um, So mothers, and this is true virtually everywhere on earth, not- are not only to do the most social reproduction, so all the cooking, cleaning, child rearing, as Laura mentioned, bureaucracy managing, because boy, do we also do a lot of that. Um, We're also supposed to be, you know, sexual and attractive and full of joy and life for our partners and kids. Um, Well, that's impossible. If you you have to do all of those things yourself, it's impossible. Um, I, I mean... I guess I shouldn't say impossible. If you're really rich, you can outsource a lot of that labor and just focus right. on your perfect mom Instagram account. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, <laughs> but for most women in most of the world, this simply isn't the case, right? So as someone I know once said, um, women are expected to get up, make breakfast, get the kids ready for school, get the husband ready for work, get everyone out the door, clean, do laundry, do the shopping, manage calendars, work, make dinner, welcome everyone home, make sure the kids are doing their homework, put everyone to bed, and then be excited about sex after this day. <laughs> like, it's it's impossible. I mean, yeah. how many women in the world get married for financial security? I mean, globally, almost all women. Mm-hmm. Everywhere women are dependent. I mean, there are so many cultures, including my own, where the value of the woman lies in what and how men value her, right? Because she's expected, sure. the only way to really survive is if she marries um, well. So she has to make herself very marriable and it's really terrible and awful. And and yeah, I, I, think, I think one of the things we really should be focusing on is uh, how the gender pay gap um, should actually be that women get paid more than men, not even equal. It's not enough. I agree. 
<laughs> so, and, and Silvia Federici crushes this point. And I'm going to be pulling a lot from her here. Um, and particular, particularly from her piece called Wages Against Housework. Um, and if you haven't read it, you need to. Uh, if you haven't read uh, Revolution at Point Zero, which is her book of essays, you need to. Uh, she really, really talks about how this payment and this unwaged labor yeah, she just talks about it in an amazing way. I'm just going to quote from her here, uh, as well as some other brilliant folks who have already like really talked about this. Um, but Sylvia says, We must admit that capital has been very successful in hiding our work. It has created a true masterpiece at the expense of women. By denying housework a wage and transforming it into an act of love, capital has killed many birds with one stone. First of all, it has gotten it has got a hell of a lot of work for almost free, and it has made sure that women, far from struggling against it, would seek that work as the best thing in life. The magic words, yes, darling, you are a real woman. At the same time, it has disciplined the male worker also by making his woman dependent on his work and his wage and trapped him in this discipline by giving him a servant after he himself has done so much serving at the factory or the office. In fact, our role as women is to be the unwaged but happy and most of all loving servants of the working class, i.e. those strata of the proletariat to which capital was forced to grant more social power. Um, and that was the end of the quote, but, uh, I think that this is like, you know, she, she just lays this out so fucking brilliantly. And of course this is more pronounced, uh, as a hetero issue globally, but in, even in queer couples, there are power dynamics that influence this. Um, I mean, when we think about the amount of unpaid labor that goes into keeping our society afloat, uh, the vast majority of that, of that labor falls to women. Um, and then I wanted to pull from uh, Sarah Jaffe, who is, we obviously love her, uh, if you're listening to this. Hey, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> she says, uh, she writes, she wrote a, an amazing piece called The Factory and the Family, um, which is also incredible. So I have a lot of quotes going on here, but I feel like sometimes it's like, why reinvent the wheel when we already have incredible women who have done this work? Uh, and then also I'm encouraging you all to go and read it. <laughs> um, so Sarah writes, we identify ourselves as Marxist feminists and we take this to indicate a new definition of class whose old definition has limited the scope and effectiveness of the traditional left and the new left. This new definition is based on the subordination of the worker without work to the hired worker behind which is hidden the productivity. That is the exploitation of the work of women in the house and the cause of their more intense exploitation outside of it. And such a class analysis presupposes the new area of, str of struggle, the subversion not only of the factory and the office, but of the community. So... It's so like a really heady Hell way yeah. of talking about it. But Sarah's essentially saying like, yeah, we need to think about class not only within uh, the context of the factory, right? This isn't just linens and coats uh, to, to take a Marxian uh, framework here, but it's also in the fabric that society is built upon. Um, 
you know, there are there are literal books written about the the accumulation of wealth on a world scale and women in the international division of labor and like how women have without that labor, how society would just come to a screeching halt. Um, and so it's really important for us to understand this as unwaged labor on a mass scale. Um, and of course, this is very tied to the family unit, especially in the United States. It's the nuclear family unit. It's like a very isolating uh, thing that women have to experience. Um, so... I'm going to pull from Sylvia Federici again, and she opens Wages Against Housework with this like really fucking amazing quote. Um, She says, they say it's love. Let's say it's an unwanted job. They call it frigidity. We call it absenteeism. Every abortion is an accident at work. Homosexuality and heterosexuality are both working conditions, but homosexuality is the control of production by workers, not the end of work. More smiles, more money. Nothing will be so powerful in destroying the healing virtues of a smile. Neurosis, suicides, desexualization, occupational diseases of the housewife. Um, yeah, it's fucking, she's just so good. I can't even handle she's it. She's so angry and I'm here. I feel it. Yeah. Like I feel it. It's I so good. Yeah. Uh, and the text continues highlighting the differences between domestic work and the quote unquote real work of men. Um, economic differences, uh, the, the denial of a woman's own capital, which leads her to be completely subjected economically by her man and the physical differences that led to this situation. Um, in fact, the woman becomes subject to, to a collective image according to which her real charge is to stay at home, do housework, and serve her man. This is because of a quote-unquote natural necessity that leads the woman, the woman to want a housewife's life more than anything else in the world, as if it were a quote, natural attribute of our female physique and personality an internal need and aspiration supposedly coming from the depth of our female character um and this collective image is denounced by federici who uses the request of wage to make it clear that women are doing a work imposed by them and that they do not do it for a quote natural need yeah um economic liberation from men Welfare programs for families, reproductive justice, and sexual liberation are really the core to to the freedom of women. Hell yeah. And validating women's choices. Like, yes, re, I just want to reinforce we have to trust women and validate their choices, whatever those choices are. And it's just as bullshit, you know, where we had like second wave feminism telling women like what they could and couldn't do, or you have to have a home birth or you have to breastfeed or, or, you know, like in, even in my case, like I have some time off of work, but I found myself wanting to get a little bit more involved just to have something to do or wanting to do podcast stuff. And that's just as valid a choice as if I wanted to take tons of time off and just focus on my baby. Yes. So yeah, I think that's also very central. I think, I think women are told too often, you're right, that, that we just, we live for our children and our families, for those of us that have children and families. And I watched my mom do that and listened to her warnings to not repeat those mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't, I take days off. I, 
I take afternoons off. I do stuff that I want to do as well. Um, And for those women, though, who do want their children to be the center of their universe, that is also a valid choice for them. Yeah, you know, it is that, that we really have to be constantly reinforcing and supporting women's individual choices about their own reproductive health and about their families and how they balance that with work. Yeah. Yes. I feel like this is right. Like this is why people are weird about feminism, right? I'm, I'm quoting it in my putting quotations around it because uh, the example I like to use with folks is like for a long time, people would be like, don't shave your legs. Don't shave your body hair. Like that's just for the male gaze. Like just like like free your body by by not shaving and then there was a swing back by being like actually sometimes I want to fucking shave my legs sometimes I want to like do whatever I sometimes I want to get a wax like but the I think the swing back is like go fuck yourself feminism means we can choose right we can have this choice we're free and go free and go from there um of course the question becomes like how much does society infiltrate what our desires are and that's unknowable so like we can't really go down that rabbit hole and I think we just need to honor what people want yeah and that dovetails nicely into I have some questions for you moms (laughs) uh and the first one is really related to this um I want to talk about how leftists will often judge or talk about not having children as a moral right and as someone who never plans on having kids uh how fucked up it can be to place our own ideals into someone else's decision to procreate like if you are fucking pro abortion because you believe in a woman's right to choose then how can you be anti women choosing to have kids It's the other side of the same argument. And I guess as the one childless one on this app, I was wondering how that discourse has made y'all feel and what your reactions to it are. I'm still thinking this over. So this is not something that I personally have confronted a lot. Um, I don't know if I just don't know these kind of leftist assholes personally or I just (laughs) tune it out. Well, there are even, uh, like, a bunch of, like, articles written about it and shit like that at a certain time, I feel like. But yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's just not something I've like confronted a lot, but I do. I understand the rhetoric of like, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, the world's so fucked. How could you bring a child into it? Yes. Um. Yeah. So like that, that's something I've heard pretty often. Um, But, you know, I guess that's not something I wrestle with a super lot. I'm an optimist and and maybe this sounds kind of um, coarse or unfair, but I feel like you know, we brought a child into the world from a really loving place. And if the environment is totally fucked and none of us are here in 10 years, but I'm able to give her 10 really loving, happy years, I still think that's a worthwhile thing to do while fighting to make the world a better place. Um, so that's kind of how I personally have answered that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm similar to Hope in that I haven't really come across this, uh, but I keep thinking about those women um, in Las Andinistas that we talked about Mm. last week that were standing to attention pregnant, having children um, while fighting a revolution. Um, I like, did, did anyone say that to them? Like, how could you be having a, I mean, they felt guilty about it. 
having a child uh, while it was yeah. happening. But once the, once they realized, well, unless we do it, they'll they'll have to do it. I, the the stuff I see the most about reproductive choice really is people saying, well, if you care about the environment, you shouldn't have more kids, or yeah. if you if you do have kids, they should be vegan, um, or don't vaccinate, or do vaccinate, or do like all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, human beings, like, we need to f- format the world around like us being able to reproduce happily and healthily and as we choose. Like that's how we have to rebuild the world because any world that restricts um, how many, what kind, uh, who could have children um, is not a world worth living for anybody. Like unless we can figure out a political and economic system of cooperation and mutual aid and, and like supporting the, the, the rights of people to have the next generation of humans, um, as they see fit, then we haven't really gotten very far. We're not done yet. Like that needs to be how the world looks. So I don't, I I think telling people they can't have children or they shouldn't have children is psychotic. Um, Mm. I, I think forcing people to raise their children a certain way. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm very pro vaccination. Children should be vaccinated. Um, like I, I brought that, I brought that example in as just, you know, a random example, but like, yeah, it, it, I don't think anyone has the right to say that to anybody else. I don't think you, you you can tell people how, like how they should be raising their children really. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I hope that's not coming from the left. I haven't heard it personally. I, you know, outside of the news stories about how we're overpopulated. Maybe um, I hear it a lot because people identify me as someone who doesn't want to have kids. And so they feel safe having those conversations with me. And I'm just like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. I wonder if that is true. You know, um, like people, yeah. people perceive me as like on their side of this issue. And I'm just like, just because I made that choice or I am currently making that choice, which of course, like I reserve the right to change at any time. Don't see that happening, but it could happen, right? Like that's the part of being human. Right. Uh, people, <laughs> I don't know. It's really, it's been something that I've definitely encountered a lot. And now I'm wondering if it's because I don't have kids. <laughs> um, so the other question I had for y'all is how have you had discussions with your partners about evening the labor load? Um, in what ways has it been successful and in what ways do you still experience challenges? This is such a great question. Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> well done. So uh, I love this because it's something that we're still navigating now. And we're in a very fortunate situation in that um, both my partner and I work from home and we have flexible schedules. So we truly are able to share in a way that a lot of couples are not. So I just want to acknowledge that first. Um but uh, I think we had lots of discussions while I was pregnant, especially where like your hormones are nuts and you just get these urges to like get everything ready and get all your ducks in a row, um, which for me bizarrely looked like buying paper goods at Costco. But um, I digress. <laughs> so yeah, we have a lot of toilet paper now. But um, while I was pregnant, we had all these discussions where I was kind of trying to lay out for him what my concerns and frustrations were. And most of it was really around, you know, acknowledging 
you're so helpful and you're so good natured about everything. And I value your contributions so much. Um, but patriarchy is really internalized by everyone. And I was doing a lot of the kind of like management stuff of our household. So scheduling doctor's appointments, remembering trash days, um, identifying like, Hey, the bathroom needs to be cleaned now. So that's like the stuff that I was doing and then he would execute it. But I was also executing. I was like management and labor essentially. And he was labor. Mm. And that was really stressful for me. So trying to identify that kind of stuff, that's that's been helpful, but it's something that we're still working on, I think. Um, and two challenges that came to mind. One it's really, really hard not to praise my partner all the time for doing basic things that I do without praise. Mm. And I think that's, that's kind of a dangerous precedent. A friend, good friend of mine pointed this out because it's a trap she fell into when she had a baby um, that she was just like, oh, thank you for, for holding the baby. Thank you for doing this. And eventually, right. like her partner kind of came to rely on that praise. And when she stopped giving it out, mm. he started to feel unappreciated. But she was so emotionally exhausted. She right. couldn't keep like rewarding, you know, right. for things that, that she was just doing. Yeah. Um, and I find that that is something I have to check myself on constantly, not being like, thank you for making lunch because like nobody thanks me for making lunch. Not that he doesn't appreciate it, but it's just something that I was expected to do, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, and two... I try really hard not to micromanage or undermine how he does things. Um, Cause I've seen some of my friends struggle with that too. So where you'll be like, oh, I want you to wash the dishes more, but then come behind and be like, this isn't the right way to load the dishwasher or you didn't do it fast enough or whatever. Right. Um, and it, that seems to kind of like just undermine or, or discourage your partner from doing more. If, if they feel like they can't do it the way that you want right away. Yeah. That last point has been my one and only challenge in every roommate situation I've been in or with every partner <laughs> I've ever had. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just very fast at cleaning the house and I'm very good at managing life bureaucracy. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just very good at it. So really, this doesn't have anything to do with any of my partners. I'm just better at it and I prefer to do it myself. <laughs> yeah, I totally I mean, without even having the family dynamics of having children like it, it definitely has something it has been something that I've taken on in the past as well because of and it's like, right, where does that efficiency where does that um, like observancy of when you notice something's dirty faster than a man typically or whatever the fuck because it comes from being trained our whole lives like Sylvia Federici talks a lot about how yeah. we're trained yeah from birth until we leave the home on how yep. to be a good woman if we like if you know if our parents are in like a especially a heterosexual relationship um and uh yeah i don't know it's so it's like how do you combat that because it's like yes the efficiency is there but the efficiency is only there not because you're a more capable person at that it's because you've literally been training for it your whole life yep. and so like yep. how do we try to swap that uh, a, a train, bit. train your train your sons yeah and untrain your daughters like seriously that's all it's going to take a generational shift because it's too late I'm like it's too late it's already in me <laughs> but and, I, and I also think we need to remove that yeah as much as we can or check needing all of the stuff to be done in order to feel like yeah. whole good people yeah yeah 
It's yeah. hard. It's hard as someone with anxiety. Like one of my ways that anxiety would flare up is if um, these tasks, you know, if I felt like the, there was a big task list. And so f- for me, as someone who would struggle with that a lot, it came out in like I would have like anxiety attacks. Um, but I agree with you. Like I, in a perfect world, I would not have that mental health issue and would want to be far more relaxed around that. We've also tried to make it fun where possible. So like, you know, I, I'll let things go in our house and try not to care about it most of the time. But yesterday we had company coming. So we got up in the morning, we put some records on, we did it together. We spent the same amount of time working on things. Now, whether we did the same amount, I really wasn't keeping track of, but that seems to really help um, in kind of set, starting to set good patterns because it's not like, this compulsive, we have to have everything clean or, or I'm not a good mom or I'm mm-hmm. not a good woman. It's more like, okay, we have company coming. Let's make our space nice. So that's helped me personally kind of like reset my motivation. Yeah, definitely. But it's really tough. Um, we just internalize all of this so much and it's such a big part of identity. So I feel both of you on that. It's, it's an ongoing struggle. So... I wanted to end on a quote um, from a Jacobin article in the childhood issue. Um, I thought it was a really nice quote about what could be for moms in the future. Um, It's from an article called um, The World's Toughest Job. Uh, And it's, it's the closing paragraph. In the end, a more humane motherhood will not be devoid of impossibility, frustration, conflict, and fatigue, but it will be one in which these conditions unfold in a society of mutual care and empathy, a society that lets these aspects of motherhood shape it rather than try to stifle them. (laughs) Uh, Amazing. Well, that... Here's to mothers everywhere. Here's to motherhood. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm so glad to, I feel like it's, I, I kind of, I love when we have guests on. It's amazing. But I do think there's something really special when it's just hosts on because, I don't know, I think like there's something more intimate about our conversations and less like formulaic. And I just really loved hearing from you both. And I am happy to stand in solidarity with y'all as you navigate being parents. Um, And anyway, enough of me being my emotional self. As Zoe pointed out, my, uh, my love planet Venus is in Pisces, which means that I am like very, I'm, I'm a very emotional person when it comes to giving love uh if y'all hadn't noticed yet (laughs) it's literally I think like someone who has only listened to our podcast for a while noticed that one of the things I talk about most is how much I love all of you and all of my friends Uh, but it's real I fucking love you all what the fuck um (laughs) what the fuck what the fuck anyway as always you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Season of the Bee. We're at seasonofthebee.com if you want to get some merch. Uh, we will also be coming to a few different cities coming up. Half of us will be 
at the at the convening in Chicago and half of us will be at the convening in the Sochfem convening in Philly in April. So uh, yeah, it will be awesome. If you can go to those things, we would love to meet you and talk to you in person. Um, we also have a Patreon account. Please send us your money. We love it. We thrive on it. <laughs> and rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, motherfucker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Season of the bitch.